afternoon. It is another lovely Sunday evening here in Panama City, Florida. Now, I know you guys have been waiting all week for another great episode, and I want to remind you guys that this is the second to last, well, not second to last, this will be uh, the last episode until next week, well, the week after. I am going to be going on vacation, going to visit some family in New York, so I am not going to be here next week, but I will be back the following week, and I know all of you are just sad because that means you won't hear my review of today's episode of House of Dragon until next week, and don't you worry about that, I will be reviewing both episodes and having a splendid job eating, crying, and probably being in shock of the season finale of House of Dragon. I'm actually be watching it with some friends, so just so you know, I will be enjoying it and hoping that some characters die and some characters live, but who knows? Anything could happen. Anyway, let's go ahead and jump right in. I know all of you guys are waiting too. We're going to be starting off with comics. Now, AXE Eternals issue 1. Now, this is going to be the last one-shot issue for the AXE series, since uh, by the time uh, the next issue comes out, it will be issue number six, which is supposedly the last. Now, as we are getting closer and closer to the Celestials, I'm guessing innards or the central part of the Celestial, the heroes are trying to basically get through with all the antibodies. Jean Grey, still pissed off from when the Celestial failed her, is just blasting through the antibodies like I guess would be a good analogy would be uh, scissors to paper. Tony states that he thought that she wasn't the Phoenix anymore. Wolverine comments that she is and isn't and that she's powerful enough to begin with. Iron Man begins to question Cersei, asking why she is there. She reminds him that earlier he and the Avengers attacked her, but... He states that's not what he meant, and he states why she is being deflective. Uh, he asks, basically, why she failed. And it is actually revealed that Icarus wanted to tell the humans that the reason the Eternals are able to resurrect is because a mortal has to die. Basically, um, think of it like equivalent exchange. Uh, life for a life. But whether or not the lives know they're being sacrificed or it's at random, who knows? Anyway, uh, Icarus wanted to tell Earth, but Cersei had other plans. And it's revealed that she wanted to keep it a secret. And she went ahead and told Jack of Knives to help convince Icarus. Um, so that's why she failed. It was because the Celestial judged her for doing that and stuff like that. Now, she states that Iron Man was probably able to pass because of his ego. During this, Ajax is caught and begins to be judged by the Celestial for the second time as she was left until further notice. Now, while she is being judged, she is basically taken to a temple where she gets to meet the first person that was sacrificed to allow her to live. Then she kills him. She meets the second person, and so on and so forth, where she has to basically kill everybody that she was the reason of their deaths because she needed to be resurrected, which is in the millions. 
after she's done this, uh, Ajax is basically angry at the Celestial. She also is angry about how he's acting. The Celestial berates her for attempting to kill him. She states that she has served the gods and they had failed her. And she had been a loyal servant until that point. Now, he also questions her about keeping the resurrection of the Eternals a secret. Where she states that whenever a rich person benefits from them being rich, paying for stuff, doesn't that cost from... Oh my god, I'm butchering this, am I? Basically, she compares it to a rich person to a poor person, where the rich person benefits from the work of a poor person, even to their death. He states that she has rehearsed this line for millennia, to the point where she actually believes this slide for herself. Now, when he begins to judge her, she grabs his hand and basically says that you may fail me. You may have judged me to the point where I fail, but she has not failed him. Basically saying that he has time for her to spare him if he comes around and starts doing good. Now, she comes back to the group and they begin to continue to the center. Now, it was very interesting comic and it is very interesting to see how the resurrection actually works. How they actually have to sacrifice somebody for this to even be workable which is very different to the x-men where the x-men don't don't really need to sacrifice anybody as far as i know everything's through mutant powers so if this is the case i wonder what would happen if tony or the other avengers learn about this resurrection secret and if they do what will happen in the aftermath now uh we're gonna go ahead and jump into death to the mutants issue number three now, this gives background of what was happening with some of the characters during the, where all the heroes began to fight the Celestial and even before then. Uh, the, yeah, you guys had Star Fox basically talking to Emma Frost, Emma Frost using her telepathy to help the Eternals fight against the Celestial and get past their first law that is programmed into them where they may not harm a Celestial. Of course, they all go into battle and it does not go well. Everyone is, almost everybody is basically killed. Icarus decides to attack the Celestial directly and is killed. The Celestial also destroys the Resurrection Chamber on uh, the Eternal's home planet. Which means that no one is coming back. There is no need for Icarus to come back or anybody. Once an Eternal is dead, now they stay dead. And it's very interesting to see because in the last comic that I was talking about, it was talking about that you need someone to sacrifice. Now, during this, Captain America, Nightcrawler, and Star Fox try to come up with a plan while everyone is going inside the Celestial. Phantasmos has an idea for a hard reset to its memory and attempts to do it. He succeeds and other players begin to emerge to take part in what's to come next. This robot, uh, which is supposed to... Uh, be a, that I think was in the chamber when it went down comes to another Eternals and basically says it's ready to fight. Now this comic was mostly a build-up comic and was just putting more pawns on the table to see what's going to happen next. And honestly, I can't wait to see what happens next because this one is going to be the last issue. Uh, 
AXE issue number six, where we're going to be seeing what is happening with everybody, the heroes, and I can't wait to see what happens next, where it's revealed that mutants aren't the only people they're able to bring back, that they can bring back humans too. This could also lead for them gaining the upper hand on the Celestials, since the Celestials need a sacrifice, where when it comes to the X-Men, they don't. Anyway, uh, that is it for Marvel. We're going to go ahead and jump into DC. Now, for DC, we're going to be talking about Batman vs. Robin issue number two. Now, in this issue, we see a few magical villains collecting different artifacts like Damien was. Two of them go to Atlantis and steal a stone, but not until basically choking the living heck out of Atlanteans. I think he replaced their oxygen with nitrogen in the water, which, yeah, does not make for a good combo. Anyway, they come in and see some other villains. One of them is Clarion who basically is holding Ragman's suit of souls. Yeah, he comments how he peeled the suit off of Ragman and liked it. Now, as much as this story is fun, I really hate that they're basically undermining all these magical heroes for a Batman story. Like I said, I love Batman, but this is just wow. Especially someone like Ragman. The dude is an awesome hero and a very interesting backstory. And he's basically, oh yeah, he was an easy kill. The dude went against Eclipso for crying out loud. Anyway, uh, he basically puts it all in a pile and they use Black Alice to transfer most of the magical power to another item. During this, Batman and Alfred begin to explore the House of Mystery where they run into Abel. And if you guys have watched the Sandman TV show on Netflix, it is basically the same Cain and Abel. Now, Abel begins to guide them to some of the rooms where they begin to see what happened during the Lazarus Island issues with Damien. And they begin to see an interesting secret as they go through the memories. They see an older woman there that Batman does not recognize, and it's revealed to be the mother of Ra's al Ghul. Now, I didn't really read this uh, comic book line, so this was a surprise to me, especially when they begin to call her the soul of the dra- of the demon, which makes sense. I mean, you have the head of the demon and then you have the soul of the demon. Anyway, uh, the house begins to attack them and they end up in another room with, uh, who was the other dude? Cain. Now, Cain guides them to a theater where they see the origins of the Lazarus pit, that they're hinting that also, during this event, where she, uh, I forgot her name, uh, the mother of Ra's al Ghul, basically says she has left clues for Damien to find something and free it. Now, Batman begins to question what the Damien free, and also begins to get worried. Now, they get transferred to another memory, where they basically see that Damien ends up freeing a demon called Neza. Batman recognizes him because in Batman and Superman, or was it Batman Urban Legends, I think it was issue 5 or volume 5, Batman and Superman trapped him long ago, and Batman states that it took everything that they had, and even when they did it, they did it within a hairline. So basically, this was a one hell of a fight. Now, I found this interesting because I have been reading the Batman Urban Legend comics, And I love the fact that this came out of left field, that 
this person who was a part of this comic book came back. And I was like, oh, okay, this is actually kind of clever. Introduce someone who was just introduced and say this takes place years later. And it's like, oh, my God, now he's free. Now, whether or not Superman is going to make an appearance since he was one of the reasons why they were trapped or that Nezha basically has Superman covered since Superman's weakness is also magic. Anyway, it is revealed that Damon Damien knows that they're in the house and has been controlling all the guides this entire time, basically leading them from room to room and the house begins to catch on fire and destroy itself. Batman and Alfred escape. And as they're walking away from the fire that is going on in the House of Mystery, it is revealed that Alfred is actually the demon in disguise and not actually Alfred. Now, I gotta say, this trick was really interesting. I didn't see it coming because when it comes to comics, you figure, oh, he's back again. Alfred is back. Why? Blah, blah, blah. And it was really one of those things where you're like, of course, he doesn't stay dead. It's comic books. But for someone to inter and what's the word, basically disguise themselves as Alfred to the point where even Bruce was fooled was very interesting. Now, like I said before, this comic is good, but I'm still kind of mad that they basically sidelined all the heroic magic users. This would have been an excellent comic book for a crossover with Justice League Dark. But I guess Batman goes first and all that good stuff. But anyway, I can't wait to see what happens in issue number three. And I hope some of the magic users make a comeback. Anyway, that's it for comics. We're going to be moving on to TV shows. And it is a doozer. Now, first I'm going to be talking about the She-Hulk finale. Now, while it was a good episode, it was a bad season finale. Now... I just don't know what the writers were thinking with this show a lot of the times because it's very interesting that this show has become somewhat of controversial in a sense. Now, let's say someone like me goes ahead and talks about how I don't like certain things about this show, how I cannot stand this, or I thought this was something that was bad, and something that I've seen a lot of times in... Uh, the internet and how this show kind of makes fun of people is oh if you hate this show you're a hater you don't want to see someone a woman as the female lead blah 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 and basically labels you if you criticize this show and if you like this show the other side will criticize you for having no taste and it's very very weird it's basically giving you a no-win situation and while I was excited for this show initially, it was just really disappointing. I honestly think Marvel needs to hire better writers when it comes to this show because there was basically no lawyering in a show about lawyers. Maybe a few things here and there, but it was just basically a sitcom with, hey, I'm going to make the show about lawyers and do this. And a lot of times, especially when she was awarded Lawyer of the Year, it didn't seem like she earned it at all. Now, one thing about this show that I had problems with is the villains. It was just like, really? A lot of them were just subpar. And especially Tatiana were annoying. Besides maybe the Wong episodes and the last two episodes, it felt like it was trying way too hard. Now, it's funny because the writers 
were making fun of their own writing at times, especially when it was poor. And it just got frustrating because it didn't feel clever at all. It just felt lazy. Now, if they make a season two of this show, I really hope they actually have like, what's my call it? Lawyer battles. Like the, how they had in Daredevil. I mean, in Daredevil, you had cases and they actually had to argue for these cases. It wasn't like, oh, yeah, well, no, okay, we settled this, it's done, blah, blah, blah. Like, have them actually do some lawyer stuff. Because, again, it just felt like they were just doing the bare minimum and said, okay, we're good. Anyway, I hope it gets better, but honestly, I have to give this show a 5 out of 10. It basically was eh, but it wasn't bad either. Anyway, moving on. Oh, yeah, before I move on, I really hate how they ruined Scar. Really? They had to throw away a perfectly good plot to World War Hulk. Not to mention this man's haircut. What the heck is... Okay, I'm just going to move on before I get mad. Anyway, moving on, we're going to be talking about Werewolf by Midnight. Now, it was a very interesting special, especially since this is supposed to introduce us to Marvel's monster. And the aesthetic for the show was actually pretty cool. For it being in black and white, it added to the eeriness of the show. Now, while it was 55 minutes, it did introduce three of the Midnight Suns. Uh, Elsa, Bloodstone, I forgot what the dude was, the werewolf, and Man-Thing. Now... I really didn't know what was going on half the time because I'm not really familiar with some of these characters. Maybe a little bit about Man-Thing, but not really as my uh, comics that I've read. The only supernatural one I can think of was maybe Doctor Strange and Ghost Rider. I know Elsa Bloodstone shows up in Deadpool, but besides that and the name, not really much about, oh, I know this person's history. Anyway, uh, one thing I loved about this was that it was barely any CGI. Of course, when it came to Man-Thing, of course it was CGI. But besides that, a lot of the costumes, especially for the werewolf, was practical. And I wonder if they're going to stick with that or give him a CGI suit later. Now, I'm curious to see if any of these three show up in any other media. And the one thing I was very surprised about was that Blade was not a part of this. Now, yes, in uh, Werewolf by Midnight, a lot of these were monster hunters, and Blade, I guess, would fall in the middle of this, but still would have been very interesting for him to partake in this, but anyway, I'm very, it was very interesting, I'll say the least. I'll give it maybe a 6 or a 7, because it was different, and it was going for a more old-school appeal, which it actually got down. Like I said, I actually liked it, and it was very interesting. Now, I will say it was definitely better than Halloween Kills. No, Halloween Ends. That's the one I'm thinking of. But again, I'm wondering to see where and when these guys will appear again. Anyway, moving on. Andor. Now, Episode 4 and Episode 5 have been very interesting because of the fact that they're trying to build up this entire show for when the heist actually begins. Now, I feel like they're going the Jason Bourne route, which is not a bad thing. They're basically with Andor, basically learning more about the group, learning more about the plans, seeing basically the side of the rebellion that is still early in his fruition. 
Now, the I haven't seen the latest episode where the heist actually happens, but I feel like they're going towards a 24 route where they're going to be on the timetable, we're going to be super press the TV, and all that good stuff. Now, I forgot the guy's name, but the officer who originally chased uh, Cassidy to the his planet... He is still with his mother and going to talk with his uncle. No idea who the uncle is yet, but it should be interesting to see how many of these characters appear, especially since we're getting more and more into the Senate. Now, I find something interesting that someone asked me, and someone did ask me if this was similar to Attack of the Clones, where it was basically giving us background on the political situation, which I had to agree with, and which a lot of people have criticisms of, but I gotta say, I don't. Because this is what is important to get the background on all of this of what is happening. During uh, New Hope, the Galactic Senate was dispersed by the Emperor. So we're getting to the point where that is going to happen. And it gives us an idea of what the state was during and after the rebellion. And see how the First Order came to rise. Anyway, uh, we're going to be going, well, that's it for Andor, and we're going to be talking about, of course, House of Dragon episode number 8. Now, in House of Dragon episode 8, it was very interesting to see another time jump, where these young children now are now young adults. And during this, we learned that Corliss was injured during another war, which many speculated was going to be fatal, so the question of uh, succession was put up. Now, his brother claimed succession and he wanted to be Lord since he was the only blood relative left or someone who would take control of the situation. Now, they had he complained to the king who was still alive, but because he was in constant pain due to his disease, was left heavily weakened and bedbound where Otto was acting in the king's stead where I think his name was Vaymond, knew he was going to get the, his title because of this, because Otto and Alicent were against Arenera. Now, they all go to King's Landing to stake their claim, and Renera also saw that the walls were closing in, because since her father was basically bedbound and not acting and making decisions... Which meant there was a good possibility that Otto would rule against her, which would not be a good thing because this would also lead to other questions of them being bastards, which they were, but of course, without Viserys protecting them, they would their rights to the throne would be put into question as well. Now, when they went to, of course, the King's Landing, Renera went to her father to try to talk to him, but saw that he was in constant pain and worse for wares. They noticed that the tea uh, that he was drinking to ease his pain was also making him drowsy and not fully aware. Now, it was very touching to see Viserys and kind of sad to see how much the disease had basically bedridden this man. And it was very nice to see him playing with his grandchildren, which one of them he was named uh one of them was named after him, and it was so funny. He was like, Viserius, that sounds like a name for a king. <laughs> Dude was on his basically deathbed and still cracking jokes. Uh meanwhile, Alicent had to comfort a maid who had been raped by Aegon, and she basically got angry and comforted this maid. 
I was actually surprised that she didn't kill her, but she basically was acting like this wasn't the first time this had happened with other maids, and she had the maid drink the tea so no bastards would be made. She basically went up to her son's room and berated him for this and said that you are no son of mine. Now, during this, Lucarius and Jesseri uh, walk around King's Landing reminiscing of their past and their childhood. While they're doing this, they see Amen, who beats Sir Christian Cole in battle, and they're just smiling. And Amen sees them, but before he could do anything, the doors open and Vaymond comes in with his claim to Driftmark. Now, during this, uh, Renera feeling trapped and feel like everything's going to fall apart, she goes and pleads with her father for his help. And he basically is very weakened and it's like he's not going to help her because, of course, I mean, the dude is dying and she's asking him for more help. She also asks if the song of ice and fire is real and to which he just mutters away things that are not understandable. Meanwhile, she also goes to Renee Targaryen, the queen not to be, and asks for her help and to let her grandchildren marry her kids. Now, Renee is basically still blaming Renera for her son's death and doesn't promise anything. And this worries Renera because she has no friends. After uh, they all gather in the morning, uh, Visarius basically tells Otto that he does not want to take his medicine, that he wants to be clear-headed. Now, Otto, still s- sitting on the Iron Throne, basically hears all the arguments that Feymond and Renera put out. And before he can make a decision, the king walks into the room weakly with his cane. Now, this scene was very powerful because this man is basically on his deathbed, extremely weakened, but still comes into the throne room, walks to the Iron Throne, and basically sits down. Now, while he's walking, all eyes are upon him. And when he basically stops, one of the guards comes up and asks him if he needs help, but he says that he has this. And while he stops again, his crown falls, and someone comes up to him offering help, and before Vesarius can shoo him away, he sees that it's Damon, and he lets him help him. And he picks up the crown and puts it on his head, which was basically improvised during the scene, which I found amazing. Now, after uh, Visarius sits down, he says he under- doesn't understand why there's a question when it came to the succession of Driftmark, and says that Jesarius Valerian has is the true heir of Driftmark, and his claim is true. Renee takes this moment to add that her grandchildren and Renee's children are to be wed, and the king is delighted. Vaymond, on the other hand, is not a uh, graceful winner or loser. He basically gets annoyed and calls Renera's kids bastards. Viserys gets up, takes his knife, and said he would have his tongue. Damon, on the other hand, cuts off his head and says he can keep his tongue. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so that scene was amazing. I just left my, my jaw just dropped onto the floor. Anyway, after all this, they have a family dinner where Viserys basically says that he wants all of them to get along, that they are family, and that he, they deserve to be happy with each other. 
that they uh during this they all make a few toasts to each other and besides a few quips from the children Vesaria sees just for a brief moment everybody happy and everybody looking at each other like a family should and he sees peace just for a moment he begins to get a coughing fit and is put back to his room which is a good thing because fighting breaks out now Vesarius later dies in bed but not before mistaking Allison for Renera, where he says the song of ice and fire is true and Aegon is king. Now, Allison is thinking her son, but Viserys was talking about the first Aegon that ruled over Westeros. And before anything can be cleared up, he dies. And he says that he loves them before he dies. Like I said, this was a fantastic episode and was definitely, it is definitively one of my favorites. Honestly, it just showed how much Vesarius would go to protect his daughter. And I think the actor definitely deserves to get an Oscar or Emmy for that performance because it was amazing. Someone said it was Shakespearean, which I have to agree with. And I am happy that he, before he died, got to see a happy family, at least once. Now, I am definitely glad that he's dead for, not for like, oh my god, he's dead, yay, but for because he's not going to be around when they basically all kill each other. And because he dies, that means it's the start of the doomsday clock for Westeros, because in only 10 years, the Dance of the Dragon will begin. And I'm not going to say anything about the Dance of the Dragon, but a lot of people are going to be dying, especially dragons. Now, the next episode has no time jump, so we're going to be seeing what exactly happens next. Now, whether or not the finale will have a time jump, who knows? But honestly, I cannot wait to see what happens in House of Dragon Episode 9, especially Episode 10. Uh, Now, that's it for TV shows. We're going to be moving in straight to movies. Now... Halloween ends. Wow. Talk about a bad movie. Now, of course, I won't give a full spoiler review because it just came out. But I gotta say, I watched it with my father who wanted to watch this movie. And I was like, you know what? Yeah, let's go ahead and watch this movie. It should be good. I mean, it's the Halloween movie. And wow, it sucked badly. I kept just thinking to myself, what is going on? Why is it taking so long for Michael to kill? Then again, why is Michael looking old? I just, I don't know. The movie had pacing issues. And like I said before, it took too long for Michael to start killing. And some of the characters, how they were acting were weird. And they introduced an entirely new character for this movie. And I I guess they decided to just wing, wing it. And it's weird because these are the same writers. Well, some of the same writers, but same director who directed the last two movies. 2018 Halloween was great. The one that came out last year, I mean, eh, I mean, it was not bad. It was it was uh, maybe a step down from the last one. But this one is just an entire skyscraper. Like, if I had to watch uh, Michael, no, not Michael, Halloween Kills and Halloween Ends, it makes Halloween Kills look like the freaking Godfather compared to Halloween Ends, which is not a good thing, ladies and gentlemen. It is not a good thing. 
Anyway, like I said, non-spoiler review now, spoiler review when I come back. Anyway, moving on, and still in the realm of horror, a new horror movie is releasing called Megan. Now, this one is another killer doll, but instead of doing the whole supernatural route, like many have before, like Puppet Master, Chucky, Annabelle, this one is full of technology, and basically asks the question, what if an AI goes crazy? Now, of course, everyone has answered that question, but this one is basically, uh, this AI is assigned to a girl who lost her parents, and it gets too attached and begins to protect her at all costs, especially to those who wants to take her away from her. Now, it's a cool idea, and the trailer looks good, especially there's this one scene where the doll's dancing before it's going to kill somebody, which I think, kudos for creativity. But like I said, it looks very interesting, and I can't wait to see what happens next. Anyway, that's it for movies. We're going to be moving on to video games. Now, Choo Choo Charles finally has a release date, and it's releasing on December 9th of this year. Now, like I said, I think I talked about this game in my show where it's basically a killer train is chasing you. You have to upgrade your own train to kill it and explore the island. Now, I remember seeing this video game uh, trailer, I want to say about a year or two ago, and I thought the concept was kind of fun. It was new. It was kind of scary. Basically, a train that rides uh, on the train tracks, but if you leave your train, it will basically grow spider legs and chase you. Something of an interesting concept. I can't wait to play it, and it looks like it's going to be good, and it's going to be releasing on Steam. So any of you PC players that are looking for a fun new game, this may be for you. Anyway, that's about it. We're going to be moving on to Multiverse. Stripe from Gremlins is coming. And I gotta say, I am super happy for another Gremlins character to be coming into Multiverse. Now, he is an assassin-type character, and his movesets are actually pretty interesting. He has a gun, a skateboard, and a saw, and looks like he can be about mid-range to uh, long-range with some of his attacks. Now, I'm actually happy, and I've seen a lot of people complain about, well, why are they adding gremlins and blah, blah, blah. And I gotta say, I'm happy that they're adding lesser-known characters and being put into multiverse, and maybe this will get... Uh, the audience or the players to watch some of these movies to get a better understanding where a lot of these lesser-known characters come from. Now, it kind of hurts to say that Stripe from Gremlins is a lesser-known character, but in all honesty, he is, especially for this new generation. I can't wait for the new Gremlins movies to come out, and I can't wait to see what happens next. Anyway, we're going to be talking about Dead Space. Now, Dead Space Remake is coming out, and they're releasing more and more of the gameplay footage. Now, I really hope this remake is good, and it's going to be interesting to how it compares with the original. Even more so, since the old studio that released the original game is releasing the Callisto Protocol, which is coming out a month before Dead Space. And I honestly can't wait to play both games and give an honest opinion about them. Now, I haven't played the original... Well, I've somewhat played Part 2 of the Dead Space series, but I never played the original one. I could probably play it on uh, my PlayStation with their streaming, since they do have all three games on the PS Plus. But I'm not going to, because I want to experience Dead Space all new. No uh, gameplay of what it was before, 
no opinion on it. I want to play it fresh. So when I get scared, I'm not, oh my God, I know what to do now. More like, oh my God, what do I have to do? Anyway, like I said, I'm excited for these two horror games to be coming out. And honestly, I can't wait to play them. Anyway, uh, that's about it for video games. We're going to be moving on to nerd theories. Now, first, I'm going to be talking about She-Hulk and the mixed reviews and criticisms it has caused uh, currently. Now, She-Hulk, in my opinion, with its criticisms, has caused Disney to rethink their shows altogether. Now, of course, we're getting season two of Loki, uh, season two of, um, oh my god, what's the other show? What's the other show that came out? Moon Knight? Well, maybe. I'm hoping we get season two of Moon Knight. But a lot of the shows or supposed shows that were supposed to be coming out is now becoming specials. And I really think it's thanks to how bad She-Hulk was compared to the other shows that came out. And it really sucks for any upcoming Marvel show that has turned into a special because of the She-Hulk writers patting themselves on the back for doing the bare minimum. Now... It really sucks that a lot of them, like Okio, uh, Ironheart, some of the shows that looked like it was going to be really packed action. Now, some of the good we got out of this was the fact that Armor Wars is now going to be a movie. But besides that, it really sucks that a lot of the TV shows we were going to get are no more. And I really hope that She-Hulk, if it gets a season two, comes up with a better writing style for them to actually do more court battling than actual other stuff. Now, like I said before, I really think the writers were patting themselves on the back for doing the bare minimum and not making anybody happy, especially when it came to genuine criticisms that were washed over by people who were just branded as haters because they did not like the show. Now, I understand that there was a lot of people who are hating on the show just to hate the show, but a lot of times it was genuine. Of course, not the whole twerking thing. I thought that was just stupid for people getting mad because, like I said before on the previous episode, Stan Lee would have joined in. The dude was fun and he would have thought it was funny. Anyway, it's interesting to see how much of a divide the show has created. And like I said, I wonder if there is going to be a season two. But if there is, I hope it's better so it doesn't cause any more controversy or cause any more shows that were going to be shows into specials. Anyway, we're going to be moving on to my other theory, which is still about Disney, but in a good way. Or maybe not. Now, I've heard that the Blade movie was put on hold because they have to find another director. Now, I know I think I said that Sam Raimi was set to direct it, but I guess he backed out. Which means they're going to have to go through another rewrite, another director to get this movie forward. And it's going to be interesting to see if this comes out before um, the Avengers, Kang Dynasty, and Secret Wars. But meanwhile, while this is happening, there is speculation that Spider-Man 4 is going to be premiering in 2024. And it's supposed to take place right after Daredevil Born Again. Which means if the rumors are true, this means the main baddie for Spider-Man is going to be Kingpin. Now, if this is the truth, that means Kingpin is going to be the main villain for both Daredevil and Spider-Man, which means a team-up is going to happen. And I can't think of anyone more powerful and ruthless that has ruined both Daredevil and Spider-Man's lives. I mean, when it comes to Kingpin, the dude has vast resources, so he could have played a part in some villainous that Spider-Man has had to face in the past, 
And with Daredevil, we don't know how deep that rabbit hole goes, especially since the Netflix series is not, I guess, canon or somewhat canon. Then again, we'll get more details with the trailers and all that stuff and see Echo in uh, well, Daredevil in Echo and Kingpin too. Another thing, I think Echo is now a special instead of a TV series. Thanks, She-Hulk. And also, Spider-Man is supposedly supposed to lead into Deadpool 3. Which means, if that is also true, we're going to get a Spider-Man-Deadpool team-up, even for a brief moment. Which would be so cool, because Deadpool and Spider-Man team-ups in the comics are hilarious. And I wish he would appear more. But again, this is all speculation, and I honestly can't wait to see if any of this comes to truth. Anyway, that's it for uh, Nerd Theories. We're going to be moving on to current events. Now, sadly, this past week, Robbie Coltrane, who played Hagrid in Harry Potter, has passed at the age of 72. Ah, my God. It's so sad that we lost another Harry Potter actor. And the movies are never going to be the same, especially for Hagrid, man. He was one of the first characters introduced in Harry Potter, one of the best ones, and definitely a fan favorite. And it's kind of sad to see that the actor who played him has passed. Another passing we've had was Angela Lansbury. Now, I don't know how many of you have watched Murder, She Wrote. If you haven't, definitely a great series to get into. So many who done it has tried to copy and pasted this series, and it's pretty good. Uh, if you didn't know, it actually had some crossovers with Magnum P.I., Columbo and a few other detective series during this time and it was actually pretty good now if you don't know Angela Lansbury also voiced uh, Mrs. Potts in Beauty and the Beast and it's sad that she is passed but she, she supposedly had a cameo in Knives Out 2 Glass Onion and I can't wait to see it to see how they were going to honor her in this last part especially since she is known for whodunit uh, TV series and stuff like that it's only proper that one of her last appearances is going to be in a detective and mystery movie. Anyway, I can't wait to see Glass Onion 2, especially with how A Knives Out was amazing. Well, that's it for this week's episode. And like I said before, I am not going to be on next week. I am going to be in New York City following family. Well, again, that's it for this week's episode. I'll see you guys in two weeks. Sayonara. Hasta luego. And I'll talk to you guys later. Have a blessed day.